comes now, the big hand. Slice and Dice podcast number 15. You know, on the way in, I was trying to remember how many it's been, and I knew it was somewhere between 13 and 17, so eh, 15, 15, right square in the middle. 15. We are the official podcast of PopNinjas.com. Or at least the, this is. Yes. The uh, unupdated as of late PopNinjas.com. Yes. <laughs> I'm on vacation this week. I'll, I'll try writing something. <clears throat> so... We're talking Hobbitses today, as part two of the Hobbit trilogy came out. It's a Desolation of Smog. What's the third one called? I don't remember. This did this really need to be this the fucking the continuation long? of the Desolation <laughs> of Smog? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, we'll get we'll get around to that. Um, nice to see our. Uh, uh, let's see the freak show in attendance yeah, at the it. movie today. That, that was such a great moment because I thought we were getting into the theater with plenty of time, which we were. Well, we were. And yet our freak show, which we have referenced before. The the bearded lady, we think. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the, giant, uh, the giant Asian dude. Yeah. They were there in all their, all their glory. And um, with a handler on each side. A handler on each side and a... a Interesting aroma surrounding. Yeah, it was something just was like, wafting. It, off of those I don't people. know. It was like Bengay and rot or something. Or <laughs> yes, no. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe that's why they were in wheelchairs because they're actually dead. Well, either that or maybe it's the sedative that they're injected with to keep <laughs> them under control. Horse tranquilizer. What does that smell like? Well, she did. Um, she did lose the beard. This is true. That was a step. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever. I, I don't know if up qualifies in this. No, no not, not at all. Anyway, <clears throat> moving on. It is 12 days before Christmas. It is. Is it? It is. This is our second to last podcast of the year. Uh, in two weeks, we'll gather and we'll do discuss our end of uh, 2013 Best of. Yep, the, the wrap-up. The best of, the worst of, the biggest surprises and stuff like that. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's gonna, it is going to be interesting because, for me, 
I don't see any blockbusters making my top ten. And, and I mean, I mean, like blockbuster stuff, the stuff that you expect to be a blockbuster going in, the Thors, the Iron Mans, and things like that. Um, there certainly will be a couple on my list that made made their bank, but I don't think you looked at them as as blockbuster fair when they, when you first heard about them. But we'll see. Yeah. yeah, we'll get we'll get on that in a couple weeks. Um, so, Superman, Batman, you, uh, you excited for that one? I, I, I'm borderline I'm, excited about I'm it. I'm intrigued I, right. about, about all of the different storylines we got going here. Because, for me, Man of Steel was a tale of two movies. Um, a, 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 a great one and a okay one. Yeah, I, I think if you trimmed about... 20 minutes of fat out of Man of Steel, 25 minutes, you could have a much better movie. And and get rid of all the CGI crap at the end right. of that. Yeah, it, it's, Man of Steel, I like to look at it as, as somebody left Zack Snyder alone inside the editing room. Yeah. They, they started to gain a little trust for what he was rolling yeah. out in the first half, and then he went Zack Snyder and on And then he went Zack Snyder on us. So now we're, we're going to get Ben Affleck in the bat suit. Which I don't really have as much of an issue with. No, I, I don't know. I, do I think it was the right choice? No. But I think they would have been better served going with an unknown, similar to like, not completely unknown, but similar to the lines they did with Henry Cavill as Superman. But the cowl's still the cowl. And you, you can... The cowl is the cowl, but... After what we've just been given with the Batman franchise, after this new, you know, what say what you will of it, uh, Man of Steel, an edgier, mm-hmm. more modern take on, on the Superman mythos. And to me, Affleck could be one of those guys where all you're going to notice is it's Ben Affleck. Right. Um, but I, I like Affleck. I'm just not sure he, he's yep. the right pick yep. for this I don't role. agree. I don't disagree, sorry. <laughs> um, but now there's word that... Wonder Woman is going to be in the mix, and we don't really know to what extent. Probably just a a similar pass through, a similar five or to ten what they did uh, to Hawkeye in the first right. Thor flick or something. I, I think their DC is clearly uh, feeling the pressure to start rolling out uh, things Justice the way League. the way um, Marvel is doing it. Yep, they were trying to build to a Justice League, and this gives them the say, the chance to say. So we've officially unveiled Wonder Woman, see what the response is, see when they want Justice League to roll out, and maybe give a Wonder Woman film, or do another Justice League film and have her be a bigger part of that one. Right. So they've announced, uh, I'm I'm presuming I'm pronouncing this right, Gal Gadot? Yeah, it's like Gal... G-A-L. Godot or something, yeah. Uh, But I heard that the first name is pronounced... She's on what? Um... Gossip Girl? Or what, what is she on? She was from the Fast and Furious films, the later uh, one. She, to my uh, knowledge, she took the place of Joanna Brewster. Fast and Furious fans, if you're saying that both in the film, forgive me, Fast 4 sucked balls, and I haven't watched another one I of them. I have not seen a Fast there, It was wretched. And I hear that 5 and 6 are good, but 4 was so bad, I won't Well, the, I the problem care. I have, it, they're probably good to the fans of that franchise, and no disrespect, but I'm, I imagine they're not the type of movie for me, because it's going to be cheesy bullshit over the top yeah. stuff. Physics so that makes un- no yes. sense, action scenes that are and just and retarded. And that stuff just drives yeah. me nuts. And I'm not willing to sit through four shitty movies just to get to the ones that may be semi-entertaining to me. Right. 
Um, but so. this chick was what former Miss Israel or something, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I mean, she is beautiful. Oh, she's, she's beautiful. You have more of hang up than I do on her casting. I, I'm not sold that she can look the part of an Amazon. I've come to grips a little more that I acknowledge that with CGI they can maybe do it and a good trainer because they we are still talking two years from now, so they can get her in bigger looking shape. Certainly, if that's what they're trying for. Well. Uh, I I don't totally disagree with you, but I do the point. Your first point there, certainly. We just saw the Hobbit movie. They can make people look four feet shorter than other people who are actually the same size. So that's not a big issue. They can make her look um, the right size, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I don't I don't necessarily agree with with the training and stuff like that. Only in that I, I don't I don't think you need to be. A hulking mass. Oh to no, no, no. Kick ass. don't get me wrong. But shots I've seen her with, seen her. I don't even think she looks rugged at all. I think she looks like she needs to eat a burger. And if I'm wrong there, then I think that I'll own up to being wrong. Right. I just keep hearing people say, "Well, you know, Israeli army and stuff." Right. So is everyone else. Everybody has to be right. Israeli, Israeli Air Force, I should say. Uh, yeah, everybody has to. But that doesn't. As a result, that doesn't mean that you're rugged from being in it. Right. Um, and and maybe it's just the shots I've seen that just I haven't necessarily. I've seen more glamour shots than anything else. Again, not having seen the fast movies, it's and the maybe, same. Uh, it's the Maggie Q Nikita argument with you. Yeah, it, no question. That show's still going. Do you know that? I I did that long since been put to death. I, well, I did too, and I I watched most of the first season. I actually dug the show. I thought it was pretty good. But I once you tell me that a show is is done and you're not going to let it finish i I tend to tune out but and i thought i had heard that but apparently it's still going but no i mean clearly with me this is kind of a thing is i like my superheroines to be bigger and it it's less less believable if you're going to give me somebody that looks so you're okay with scarlett johansson as black widow yes okay have you ever seen her outside of that outside of that role she's not that big she's not but I would argue that at least the portrayal of her in the movies, she isn't necessarily the tough badass. She's more, I want to say agile, maybe, is the way to put it. More the car. She's less going to kick she's the shit limber. out of you. Right. She's not going to uh, raise her fists to you. or She's more likely to throw karate on your ass to defend herself and get herself out of the situation she's at. And so, again, she's supposed to be a spy, right? A former Russian spy. Yeah. So, or operative, or whatever. Whereas, for me, Wonder Woman, it's 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 different because, again, knowing that she's supposed to be Amazonian. Mm-hmm. And that's the hang-up. And it's my understanding that it's been the hang-up for a lot of people. I, I think she looks. I think she looks good facially for the role. No, quite. I, I don't disagree with you there. That there's. One thing about the Israeli descent is you could easily say, yeah, this person's got that trace of Mediterranean look that could mean Zeus was the father. That That is perfect. She's got the look that way. Physically, I'm and just she'll muscle. be frugal. <laughs> is there, that there's, There is that. <laughs> and she, she'll like a good bagel and locks. Yes. <laughs> the Jewish Wonder Woman. Yeah. I'm all good with it. <clears throat> um, some more casting news. 
Um, one that I'm struggling a little bit more with, um, and, and it's probably more just due to the fact that I don't know the direction they're going with this film. Uh, Amelia Clark, uh, aka Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones, is apparently going to be our new Sarah Connor in the Terminator reboot. Mm-hmm. The key here, the key word here, is reboot. So it sounds to me like they're going to go back to the origin. However, Amelia Clark is 26 years old. Which would be fine in an origin story, because you could get away with John Connor being about 10. Well, even then, even then, you're, you're presuming that Sarah Connor got knocked up in 16. <laughs> they would have, right, they would have, have to. be a kid. But you, you can, you can you now. age her up you a few years. You can age her up a few years. You can pull off 30, right. 32 with her. But the guy who they're picking, or they're talking seriously about for John Connor is Jason Clark, who's 44. See, why do I know the name Jason Clark? He said that this morning, I hadn't read that. Uh, I kept thinking I was reading some confusion because nah. I never saw the name Jason used. They kept talking about cast with Clark as Clark. I said, I don't remember huh? what he's from. Um, we have to look that up. And I, I so I, I can't even say I know the name. But the, I have to wonder: a Are they going to cast younger and older uh, John Connor here? Because, like I said, you can't pull off well, that she's old enough to be a forty-four-year-old guy's mom. Well, keep in mind, though, the only time in Terminator that Sarah ever met John, or knew John was when he was a baby, they don't really, she's his mother, but he doesn't, she's long since gone from the picture. T2, wasn't he uh, like a 12-year-old kid? Yeah, when when she was in her 40s. Right. What I'm saying is they can play with this timeline a little bit. Well, they're going to have to. Right. Um, and I should be more up to it, because Terminator is one of my favorite franchises. Uh, I'm, I'm that guy who didn't hate... Um, Requiem, or whatever that last one was. Uh, 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 Terminator. Salvation. Salvation. Uh, no, I like Salvation. The, uh, there were only a few things I really didn't care for, and I, I'm not certain that this franchise is one... That's aided by st- trying to stay PG. I, I've always felt that it needs to be upped a little bit. But right. Well, it won't be. It won't be on this reboot. Then T. Uh, uh, no, maybe T three was an R rated movie. Uh, T two was an R rated movie. They could make it R rated, but I, I don't. I I would be surprised if they actually do. Um, but I, I suspect that they're going the reboot route with this just because the studio suits and, and the critical reaction to Salvation wasn't good. So there's, it's that that's the thing in Hollywood now. If if you've got this thing out there, this this skeleton in your closet, and in their their minds, salvation is that. Mm-hmm. Um, for some, even Rise of the Machines are, is that. Yeah, and I like Rise of the Machines um, a lot. Yeah, I did too. Um, they'll just clean the slate and reboot it, mm-hmm. rather than make a fifth movie and have to acknowledge that those one the lesser ones are exist. Um, and I guess I guess I'm okay with it because I like this franchise so much. I I would also argue that Amelia Clark is just not the right. You talk about somebody who, yes, she started out as just average chick, but in, in T two she had become like this hardened freaking warrior and right. Up That's going to be the troublesome part because um, Amelia Clark is not. And, and they can't use Daenerys uh, Daenerys Targaryen as saying, "Well, she's pulled that off." 
Right. So Daenerys she doesn't do anything. Right. She fight. She just represents something, and she's got she, the dragons to back it up. Right. Yeah. She orders people to fight. Yeah. And she, and it just so happens the people that she's in charge of are some of the nastiest, hardiest people on the planet. Yeah. They're the raping, pillaging nomads. <laughs> I uh, I argue they left uh, they left the right Sarah Connor on Game of Thrones and Lena Headey. Because when she was uh, doing the... Well, the, she uh, did Sarah Connor Chronicles, Chronicles which she was, was great. a vastly underrated yep. show. I loved Sarah Connor Chronicles, but they buried that at 9 o'clock on a Friday, mm-hmm. right from the get-go. Nobody was watching it. It was way too heady a show when they started it. I, I no no was, pun intended. Right. I thought it was fantastic. It was, and I, yeah. thought, I thought Lena Headey was great yeah. in that role. She, she fits that part. She has that... Linda Hamilton-esque physique well, and, and, and look to her that made T2 so great. And, and Well, and admittedly, I, I even loved her in Dread as the, the leader yeah. of the mob. I, yeah. She can play that kind of role. Yeah. Um, what I find fascinating is I heard that the two frontrunners for that part were Amelia Clark and Brie Larson. Yes. Brie Larson. A comedic they, actress. Although, apparently, she did a pretty good turn in... Um, uh, short term twelve this year, yeah, which I haven't seen yet, and I want to. But apparently, she puts on a really good I, and, performance there. And I like Brie Larson, but again, it's clearly there's thinking. an age block that they're shooting for here, which makes me think. Oh, and Jason Clark was the guy in Zero Dark Thirty who was ah, the the, the one that she had liked so much yeah. that was at the base when she came in. That's that right. was running the investigations. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, I don't know that. Uh, I, I believe your concerns are very well founded. They're going to have to do some of the timeline They're to make him work. Clearly, going to have to do some of the timeline, and they probably will. I mean, but uh, I'm happy to see we're returning to this universe. I know you well, and I have discussed Arnold this before. Coming back is uh, the Terminator. I don't even have any issue with that. Because, again, if you're rebooting the Terminator, he was the model that they were using. Which I always found interesting. They had... How many of these would you have to fight in the future before you say, that's that's a fucking Terminator unit, if you're going to use one model? Right. However, I, I can live with it. I don't know how physically he's going to be able to pull it off, though. Arnold, you again, you can deal with... The build a little bit, and you don't need to be a massive build to be a Terminator. I think that's the that's the overblown part. I'm more concerned about the age look that's right. going to be the problem because mm-hmm. he's had a lot of rough years, and the the years are set some lines into his face and body that I don't know that you can do without using so much Photoshop. Well, the magic of video Photoshop work, you wouldn't be better off going a different route at that way at that right. point. Right. I I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Amelia Clark got the role, though. Um, Golden Globe noms are out there. SAG noms are out there. Um, it's going to be an interesting Oscar season. We got uh, a couple months yet before our Oscar podcast, but uh, which we will be re- well prepared for. I still think we got to figure out a way to do a live podcast, or at least record while well, record a podcast while we're watching the Oscars. Yeah. And just, hey, look, we know it's going to be a three-and-a-half-hour podcast, a three-hour podcast that day. But you and I have always hammered at how much the Oscars really means to us. Yeah. And certainly, in our past iteration, it was showed, because we did a few podcasts discussing the Oscars at that point, sure. and we hammered it. 
Our website reflects it, how much we, we really get into it, and we're starting to roll towards that season. We are. I mean... Well, like I said, I think uh, March 2nd is the Oscars, um, so, you know, right around February 20th or so is when we'll roll out the, the, the Oscar podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but these nominations for SAG and Globe have certainly... Uh, I don't want to say there's a lot of surprises there, but it certainly looks like it's going to be a... Um, a tightly contested Oscar season, for sure. I, I don't know that there's any clear-cut front runners in any category at this point. Nothing I've um, heard. It's certainly, I mean, if you have to pick a front runner, I think Twelve Years a Slave is probably still a neck ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, American Hustle is gaining ground quickly. Uh, Her is getting a lot of love right now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing um, that. What you're not seeing a lot of love for and it may be just the fact that it's a late edition it hasn't really been it hasn't streamed to the public yet as wolf of wall street yeah um, and not much not much not a peep out of that one it's scorsese somebody i like seeing get the kind of love that the academy can throw but yeah it, and it may just be that right now american hustle i the way i've heard it referred to is this is the most Scorsese film in a long, long time that wasn't done by Scorsese. Right. Everything about it feels like Scorsese, so I think it's garnering, garnering more attention because it feels like it was meant to be a Scorsese film anyway. Right. In well, theory, is... you have, what, two weeks in a row with a Scorsese film coming out That's if you want to call American Hustle a Scorsese-type film. <clears throat> Which I won't because I won't... Uh... I won't diminish David O. Russell because he's proven right. himself uh, quite worthy. But he's he's turned out. Uh, I'm I'm working under the assumption that I'm going to love American Hustle, but he's turned out three just stellar movies in three years. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, that's hard to do. I mean, even you even get Scorsese, who's usually every two or three years, and you know a lot of the great directors are only every two, three years. Yeah, take a few years down. David O. Russell goes from one project to the next right now. now. Right, and I mean, there isn't anything necessarily, necessarily technically uh, or technologically uh, difficult about a David O. Russell film, um, but still, he's he's. Putting out some great stuff, and he just he uses the right actors. That's for sure. Because Scorsese's last film was Hugo, right? There's not one I'm missing along the way. No, I'm pretty sure it was Hugo. But again, technologically, that's pretty big. But that would be more. That would the effect there. You'd see more from the film before Hugo to Hugo. No, no but granted, it's Scorsese isn't exactly a, a spring chicken here either. No. Yeah, he's Marty's pretty up there years at this point. Yeah. But he certainly hammered out his brand. You know what you're going to get from a Scorsese film. But um, 12 Years a Slave is a, is a lock for a Best Picture nomination. And uh, I would, I'd love to see it even win um, with the other movies sight unseen yet. Um, Chiwetel Ogia 4 is certainly a lock for a nomination in my opinion. And it's starting to look like Lupita Nyong'o is, is going to be a Best Supporting uh lock as well for the Oscars. Just she's getting love everywhere. Now, again, that's the movie I'm sneaking to at some point this week to finally see. Yeah. Taking advantage of vacation, catching up. Now, if I don't have a since we since we cut the cord on cable, um if we don't have a are you gonna watch the Globes? I normally 
the thing I do, the Globes isn't like the Oscars to me. The Oscars, I start playing. I catch the red carpet. I lock myself down. I've got my the batteries replaced in the clicker. The Globes, for me, are that thing I'll have on in the corner. Well, they're certainly better with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. This is true. They were awesome yep. last year. And they've already started rolling out some of the ads uh, for them this year and stuff. And already it's like, yeah, these, these two are... This too, and I I still contend that I've got some sort of Amy Poehler thing going on. So I judge me if you must. <laughs> There's just something there. Yeah, I don't see it, but okay. She yeah. doesn't do much for me. I, Fair enough. But them together, though, they're a good combo. Cause for Tina Fey on her own, I know there's this big. Oh, I'm sorry, dude. There's this big Tina Fey love, but. I, I'm not I, I don't think she's that funny on her own, but together they play off each other well. Right. They they, they kind of remind me of the old comedy duos that just seem to work best when you have them coupled. Well, I think she I think she's brilliant. No, and they, yeah. Um, I think they're both they both have a level of brilliance to them, and I want to see more women getting these opportunities. And I finally, I think. I think, and you can attribute these two women, of course, you can attribute Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, uh, people like that that are getting out there and, and people are starting to realize that women are funny too, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm, I'm digging it. No, dude, some of my favorite comedians are Sarah Silverman and Lisa Lampanella, and I've been on them for years, yeah. long before they had, Sarah Silverman, when she had her show on Comedy Central, to me it's one of the funniest fucking things that show, Cheryl's ever run. Yeah. But yeah, they're 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 the perfect perfect hosts for that kind of show, especially since the Golden Globes always plays off as this weird looking show. They always have an auditorium that's half the size of what they need it to be. The people have to climb over the top of each other to go yeah. accept anything. Yeah. It just feels it feels almost like a ghetto version of the Oscars. Yeah, it's the Oscars with alcohol. Yeah. Is really what it yep. is. But uh fun stuff anyway. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. We'll get a clearer picture of Oscar's path once. It's interesting now that it is interesting now though that Oscar noms have to come out prior to the Globe telecast. Used to be the Globe award winners. That would be sort of a uh, an indication on where the Oscars were going to yeah. head. Now they have to base all that off just the nominations and not necessarily. Yeah, which I dig the idea. Uh-huh. Well, well, I'll be curious to see how everything plays out. But yeah, it always always kind of cheesy. Oh, okay, that that one, that one. So they all put guarantees and um. um what I also kind of dug was apparently in terms of TV, Breaking Bad got a little attention at least mm. for a whole bunch of people and, and parts of the show. So we'll see if the final the final season of Breaking Bad lived up to what people hoped for enough that the Globes really recognized. Well, the Emmys recognized it for the most part. Right, they did. But I like I like the idea of the Globes giving us some love too. Right on. Do you have any other any other pertinent news to bring up, or are we gonna jump into some? What I we think watched? we can jump into what we watched. I don't think there's anything that major going on at this point. All right, we'll be right back. Come on, Natty. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife. Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to the movies anyway. 
right, so it's been a few weeks. It has. Um, seen seen a couple flicks in that amount of time. Um, let's uh, <clears throat> let's just start out real quick with uh, the season that just ended for uh, Sons of Anarchy. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Which, in my opinion, is as good of a season as they've done. Yeah, it gave me hope because as much as I've, as I've enjoyed the show all along, the past few seasons have started to feel so over the top, so right, based on mythology and everything else. Everything becomes so convoluted that I just... It was working, but it just didn't wasn't the most satisfying thing in the world. This season gave you everything you could ever hope for in a TV series. Yeah. And... It, and I don't know if it's allowing the longer runtime. I mean, the shortest episode is an hour and a quarter. Yeah. If they just are basically giving you all the episodes uncut, or it's recognizing that if you this if you're going to wrap this up next year, bring it full circle. And it kind of has that that feeling like we we're going full circle with it. It does that we're returning to the roots of what the club is supposed to be. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too, and yeah, I was. Um... 13 episode season I guess but when you look at the extended things holy god you really probably got four extra episodes oh, just easily. out of all that um, yeah it, it was really done well um, you know there, there was just this palpable tension throughout a lot of the episodes they've, they've done even more to make like the their little um, I, I gotta get the soundtrack at the end of something like this because some of the music they they've play done a some great of the stuff is just is, is terrific um, they're not afraid, like like any good show, they're not afraid to kill off popular and meaningful characters, um, which just, just signals that they're doing it right. You know, mm-hmm. if you care about the characters, then... You'll then keep people guessing. You'll keep people coming back. And, yeah. and that's just it. If people are investing time, yeah, they, there may be some anger at killing off a main character. However, it, it makes the show feel that much more legit. Yep. Like you're not protecting certain characters just because you don't want to bum out people who may have that character on a t-shirt. Right. And it, it and God knows they didn't pull any punches that way. Especially the way the season finale went. Right. I mean, every single piece of the club pretty much got called into play at some point in that final episode. Yeah. Everything. And and even references to Clay with the way Jax was going out and Unser going to Clay's funeral to remind you of what has been lost here. You've got a changing of the guard, however, at what cost? And is this what could happen to Jax? Just being dumped in a grave and the only person showing up is Unser just because he's the only one who doesn't really have any... Yeah, oddly enough, the guy with cancer is going to outlive them all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, because he he's got chips at the table, and all those chips are just his loyalty. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he, he his he's, love for Gemma. Yeah, he, the, there's no hidden agenda here, and he and he laid that right out. What two two episodes prior, where he yeah. just Gemma, I love you. you and that's the reason I'm around. Right. Period. Uh, Walking Dead mid season finale. Um, I'm that, di- digging this season yeah, as well. That that was a great mid-season finale too. Again, I would argue this this mid-season finale played better than the mid-season finale last year with the Daryl and Merle being chained together in the little yeah. fight with the was it 
yeah. unleashing zombies. Is, yeah. It was decent, but... And that was where we were still amping up to how... I, what's the word I'm looking for? Just how nasty the governor really was. Right. We already know that. And what we got here was that the governor is just will do anything. Right. And, and and those two straight-up governor-centric episodes, I thought, were two of the best episodes they of the were. season. Um, and they, they s- loosely followed along the story of the rise of the governor uh, novel, which I read. Um, you know, some of the some of the situations changed a little bit mm-hmm. um, from what you saw on the TV, but that that's been historically with the TV show anyway. Um, but yeah, another show that that's not afraid to take major characters out, as as was seen mm-hmm. especially by the. Uh, the mid-season finale, a very beloved character, uh, is is gone from the show, and um, it, it, it's interesting when you see the reactions after the fact, because you're watching The Talking Dead, and you see one character start to cry, because, you, you, so you can appreciate the amount of passion and effort they're putting into this, because they actually... In in a way, sort of believe that they're existing in this world from time to time. I mean, they're not they're not nuts. They they know they're just no. But they've got to. If you're going to really own that thing, you got to immerse yourself mm-hmm. in it. And clearly, that's something that they've created. Is they've immersed themselves in it. They became a community. Mm-hmm. They became the prison group. And losing a character from that would be yeah. rough. Sure, especially one that I don't want to say it started to be shaped as the backbone but certainly a very important part of that group right so it it it, it was a loss however they did it right again they did it right they that show doesn't normally doesn't seem to 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 suffer from just killing people off just to see what kind of reaction you can get there seems to be a point they're well thought out yep yeah it's good stuff and now we're we've got uh, the uh, clearly, they've got to leave the prison, but they're they're broken off into like four separate little groups at this point, and none of them know where everybody else is. So, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna get crazy. And, and yeah, I hopefully they were smart enough to build a plan in saying let's all meet up here. I want to say they had a reference at one point about a meeting spot, yeah. but that's in a perfect world situation. Sure. The fact of the matter is. Nothing perfect. The prison just got blown apart and figuratively, not completely literally, but pretty badly. And just the thought of trying to get anywhere to meet up is is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Right. So movies, um, how many do you have? I've got two, including the one you and I saw together. Alright, so why don't we why don't we talk about the one we saw together and then I'll go after that with because I have an extra one. Okay. Um, we saw Dallas Buyers Club. We did. Matthew McConaughey, Jared Leto, um, definitely was high on my, on my list and I liked it. Mm -hmm. I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. Um, but I had some, I had some problems with it. I suspect you liked it a little more. I did. But. Because I actually landed on, after I thought more about it, I landed at a three and a half. Which is not a bad grade. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to land a little higher. Yeah. Because my thoughts of four. I, it's about uh, this guy, Ron Woodruff, who contracted AIDS back in the early 80s. As a straight man slash yep. drug user who contracted yep. AIDS. He got it through uh, um, 
Unprotected sex is what the implication was. <laughs> Amongst the possibility. Yeah. They didn't sh- do him, show him doing heroin, but he did about anything else to his body he could. Yeah. Um, and, of course, this is back back at a time where only junkies and, and gay people got AIDS. Right. And that was the public perception of it all. Um, you know, I'm not... I didn't... He was pretty indignant when he got that thing, you know, I'm not a fag and all this kind of stuff and... and and whatnot, but uh, it, as the American government will do, they will pretty much gum up everything, um, stand in the way of progress. And he couldn't get the medications. Uh, people in this country couldn't get the medications that they needed. They couldn't get the experimental drugs that other countries were using. All you got was this AZT crap, which, after the fact, is proven that really wasn't doing anything but hurting them. Yeah, people Um, that remember the time remember that basically the thought was, well, if it helps them, fine. If not, they've already been given their own death sentence anyway. They brought it on themselves. Plus, they're just junkies and fags. Right, they brought this on to themselves. There was no urgency to to find this cure um, until until people started demanding and fighting back for it. Um, But then... um, he goes, uh, I want to say he went down to Mexico. He did. He he, he was referred by the, his little contact through the yep. uh, hospital yep. that, that was That's told right. he couldn't get him any more AZT. Look, go see this doctor down there. He can give you the drugs that have been approved in Mexico because they're not fighting through the FDA. Right. So he started stockpiling all this uh, medication, this experimental stuff, which wasn't even really experimental stuff. It was just... It was proteins and vitamins and things like that that, when mixed together, uh, helped boost the immunity and stuff like it, that. It, yeah, it boosted the immune system so enough that it helped prolong people and give right. them a fighting chance. Right, and and like he said in the movie, none of this, none of these drugs are illegal. They're just unapproved in this country. And in this country, the FDA rules all. And you can't sell. Right, you can't sell these drugs according to the FDA. Well, instead, he sold memberships to a club. In which the drugs were free. Yeah, your, so your gift for being to pay, for paying your annual member, your monthly membership fee was you'd get the gift pack of your meds. Yes. Um, now the problems I had with the film, I had a problem with the Woodruff character, and not in the way it was portrayed by McConaughey, because McConaughey was he was, he was great. Let, let me say this um, because it's, I know you're going to build off this. Throughout the early part of the film, Woodruff was an absolutely despicable, unlikable person. Sure. There was very little redeeming quality was, about him. He, he came across, across as just that bigoted, uneducated, mm-hmm. stereotypical redneck who who just assumed spit on a gay guy as as offer him a sandwich. You know? Right, and that was the the, the whole what they he's told he has AIDS. That was the biggest affront yeah. to him was, you're calling me a fag. Right. And it, it was clearly the biggest, not, holy shit, I've just been given the, 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 the death sentence of the 80s that everyone's been talking right. about. And told you only have 30 days left. Right. It's that, I've been told, I'm being called a fag, and have yeah. 30 days to just wrap things up and I'm done. And he was like, almost in immediate denial right there. You mm-hmm. got it wrong, you got it wrong, and nothing kills Ron Woodruff, and... All of a sudden, he I don't know, has a change of heart on the way home or whatever, and goes into the uh, the library to do some right. research. Puts, you know, does the math, 
determines that ah, unprotected sex is the way you can do it. So that he he comes to Jesus at that moment and says, "All right, I do have it." Mm-hmm. Walker Dorset Newsom Jeff Coat. These are patients. Yes, sir. They're also the names of players on the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a coincidence, isn't it? Isn't this a little ridiculous? Well, he said it. Can you prove these are patients? Can you prove they're not? Um, but I didn't get the, the two things about his character in this movie. I didn't get that his character made that big of a jump so quickly. And and I know this stretches out a little bit, but he has to team up with Jared Leto's character, who is a gay person. Jared Leto, I thought, did a great job. He did a great job. Uh, He lives his life as as a drag queen. Um, And it was sort of like one of the benefactors in in making this, this... drug trade from Mexico and the other countries into the U.S. He basically was the supplier of uh, people to join the club because mm-hmm. he, he knew the gay scene. Even though the portrayal like of, of the character in this was not only was he gay, but he also was the same, was the drug-using gay, so he was doubling. Right. He had already contracted AIDS, but he was he clearly doubled his chance of getting it. Now, it would... It would seem logical that over the course of time, perhaps Woodruff would have become a more tolerant person towards the gays and stuff like that. And and he clearly becomes that way, but I don't think they do a good job of getting you from point A to point B on that. The movie, I think, suffered. Because it almost happens like that. The movie suffered from passage of time. I don't think they do a great job of depicting exactly what the time frame here is. Which isn't to say they don't try. They flash up three months later. Six months later. But once the Buyers Club gets going, it almost feels like a roller coaster ride. They don't really slow it down enough for you to truly grasp what amount of time the Buyers Club itself was and his relationship with Leto's character. Well, early on, even, like, he runs into... He's uh, in the grocery store with Leto, and mm-hmm. he runs across his his once best friend. And I would I would think that, that Ron Woodruff would still be in a level of denial, perhaps, or, or at least anger at this point. And he just comes rushing right to the defense, like the freaking White Knight. Right. Um, and I just don't know if that's realistic, knowing what we know about where Ron Woodruff came from, uh, mentally and emotionally prior to this, I'm not sure that's a leap he takes that quickly. No, and, and like I say, I, I think if they, if they'd shown that that was a year and a half along, that I could buy it. Yeah. yeah. And, and certainly but, I got it when... Well, I guess there's no real spoilers around the quote-unquote biographical film. When Leto's character passes away, I really understand him Woodruff struggling then. Because that was that was honestly the first homosexual friendship he'd had. Mm-hmm. And talk about somebody that would have... For all of his biases, certainly Leto's character would have been the front and center of all of them. Sure. I mean, you're talking a drag queen. You're talking the intravenous drugs. 
living life flat out as a woman, not even trying to hide that. Right. And and so the loss there, you could see how that would have affected them. But they, did, I don't think they did a great job of getting you to that point. Which is why I also struggle with the, the fact that then they just pretty much once that scene ends and they get to the court case. Fast forward to flash up that Woodruff died seven years later. Well, there had to have been more that's gone on. That right. clearly, once the case happened, he didn't just sit and wait to die. Right. Um, the other big issue I had with it, um, at no point did I ever get the sense that Woodruff was in this for anything but the money. Oh, I agree. Uh, it always felt like this was this wasn't him seeking a way to help people with this with this disease. It was all about making the money. And to the point where he even he even admonishes one person who only has forty bucks and tells him to get out. Mm-hmm. Are you here to help this guy? Because because he's short on the funds, you tell him to get out, go out and die. And and that, and I struggled with that. If that was the way they were going to do it, that's fine. But then at the very end, where you get the Norma Ray ending there, where, where, where they all come in and they're all standing and applauding this guy, what are you applauding for? Right. The guy's a tool. Mm-hmm. He's proved that. I, I'm pretty sure the guy he kicked out on the street because he didn't have enough money probably isn't standing there and applauding. So I, I never got the sense in, in the way the script played out that he was interested in anything more than the money. And there was a lot of times there... Where you don't even you don't even remember that the guy is sick. That that is true. That it, it almost it, is like the fact he didn't even have the disease at this point. He's just running his little empire. I I struggled with how he suddenly is able to jet around the world too. Yeah. Uh, how he suddenly has contacts in Tokyo and, and different firms and stuff, and is jetting off here, there, and everywhere. Especially as a person who is suffering, who's who's got full blown AIDS. Yeah. He, yes. At one point, they show him pretty much crash and burn, but it was his own doing, where he just ingested so many of the meds that it, it was too much, and his body wasn't ready to take in that many of them. But I don't think they do. Again, I don't think the movie did a great job of, of getting you from point A to point B at times. It, it, I think it goes A to D too many times, and you're, you're missing how we got there. The journey at times, I think, was lost throughout it. Right. It, it's Certainly, I, I, I feel sympathetic to a lot of the people in it. Less sympathetic to Woodruff. I, yeah. I, I, I found yeah, myself absolutely. thinking... Leto's character, that was a loss. Because that, that there was no victim there other than himself. Right. And, it, it yeah, sure. If people want to say, well, you know, the lifestyle, fine. But they're not the only person with that lifestyle. And they didn't try to inflict anything on anybody. They were trying to look out for their own. Right. And whereas Woodruff, yeah, was seemed to be about money. So, so it's, it, exactly, and, and that's why I struggled with where this guy was such a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just that sort of fell flat for me in the end. If you want to, if you, if this this would have worked better as a fictional tale, I think because it's not a bad movie. It's it's well shot. It's it's a good story, but the fact that 
you're basing this off a character and in, in, in true life events, if this is how it really played out, then I'm I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a, a big, loss. I'm not a big fan of Ron Wood. <laughs> no, I just talked myself down to three point five five. Well, um, you know, if you if you really want to see a movie about the struggles and the, and the real heroes behind getting the government to finally get off this and do something, see the documentary "Surviving a Plague: How to Survive a Plague." Um, that that's a real true story from from what was happening back in the eighties and stuff, and that that was really intriguing. Um, yeah, a three out of five just for the basically the performances. And at least the concept of the story, I, I, I just had some shortcomings with uh, how they executed it all. Yeah, certainly McConaughey was great in the role. And Leto was also great in the role. So, just if you want to see some great acting, there is definitely some freaking standout acting in this movie. The new McConaughey, too. The, the, right. The, the new reborn McConaughey. If you'd have told me ten years ago that there's a, a movie coming out with McConaughey and Jennifer Garner in it, I'd have been like, oh, no, mm-hmm. not again. But, no. And, and that's the other thing, not to keep beating this dead horse. Jennifer Garner's character was absolutely useless. Yeah. I, she didn't even need to be there. What did she do? The only thing, I'd be curious to see if in real life, assuming Leto's character was... A, a, a version of the real version if that character from Garner really did have that affection for the Leto character. Maybe, but was it relevant? Did anything Garner do in this movie, was it relevant to this story? No. The only thing I can think of... All she did was of, huff around every, on occasion telling him not to treat her patients. And, and she tried to champion the rights of getting these meds through. Which she can't be the only I, doctor who I did. Yes, right. Because she, but if you remember, she lost all her that, job. All, well, yeah, all that huffing and puffing, just so at the very end she could tell them to screw off. Right. Uh, uh, which was just not. You could argue though, him well. stealing her pad of prescriptions was as important as that. So. Sure, sure. Um. Anyway, moving on. I finally caught up with a flick I wanted to to see. I'd heard some decent things about it. I, I caught. What the hell was that? An email. Oh. Uh, Upstream Color. Um, Shane Carruth. This new uh, flick got a lot of love out of the uh, at the festival circuit uh, earlier in the year. Um, Wow. A pretentious probably doesn't even begin to cover this. This is, um, this, this flick actually would kind of make Terrence Malick look mainstream. And you can certainly see a lot of, uh, Terrence Malick, uh, inspiration in this thing. Terrence Malick of Tree of Life fame and, and things like that. Uh, it's basically what I could gather from it. It's about these two people that are sort of tasered and, and kidnapped and they're they place this like parasite almost like a larva inside them and it enables this guy to sort of hypnotize them and get them to do everything he needs them to do um, which includes draining the bank account all this kind of stuff and then later on, this you know, it starts out okay. Okay, I'm kind of following. Then all of a sudden, this dude shows up, and he's just making these recordings of sounds. And then he gets the girl, and he takes the parasite out of the girl. He puts it in a pig. 
and then puts the pig out on the farm and the guy and the girl connect afterwards. They don't know what's happened to them. She loses her job because she hasn't been there in a while. And it's all about this sort of interconnection between these these two people and this pig all driven by the fact that they have this parasite um, DNA or whatever inside them. And I know that this is supposed to be one of those flicks that you're, you look at and it's it's got a hundred different meanings that you're supposed to figure out what the intention was here. This is right along the lines of a freaking melancholia and tree of life and all this kind of stuff where it's shot real well but makes absolutely no fucking sense. It is just an abstract piece of shit by an over-pretentious douchebag who thinks he's making this highbrow cinema. And you could just see the people that would be there like, this is a brilliant piece of art. This is a shitty fucking boring-ass movie. Because it makes no fucking sense to me. That's okay? the way I came out of Melancholia. Well, exactly. <laughs> Watch that movie What going, is the point? What's the point of any of this? Right. And, and maybe I'm just too too dim to get it, but it, there's nothing entertaining about this to me. I, I it, it wasn't where I walked out of Tree of Life. I, it's the same stuff. Malik's another pretentious douche with his stuff, but I at least I, at I least understand understood what, what, what he was trying mo- to get. What he was trying to yeah, get. I mean, Malik here was trying to show. I didn't this, get the Sean Penn piece of it. Don't know what the hell that was all about. No, but I, I think it definitely was a, it's supposed to be a study of what effect an overbearing father could have sure. on a child. Mm-hmm. And, and, and looking back, it, now granted, the doorways on the beach and the people wandering in and out of it, that's pretentious that's his, bullshit. That's his quirky bullshit. Right. That you don't need because it offers nothing, but there are going to be people who claim that they see things. It's it's quote unquote abstract art where you right. go, all right, you can call me an idiot, but that dot in the middle of nothing is a dot in the middle of nothing. Right. You can't tell me you're seeing. Oh, it symbolizes the expanding. Right. You can say it all you want, but it doesn't mean a fucking thing other being a dot on the wall that somebody right. is laughing at you going, you got that out of it. Wow, I'm a genius. Yeah. Um, and, and that's exactly you what get we're lost in a exactly moment. Exactly what we're facing here with upstream color is just abstract stuff. Where I, I, I can only assume Shane Carruth knows what he was going for here. Uh, only fans of the Maliks and this guy and something like this are going to appreciate this. I don't think any mainstream person is going to go in. They're going to walk out there like I don't even know what the hell I just saw. I saw a bunch of freaking imagery. I saw what I thought was a plot that I don't understand, mm-hmm. and it, it's just it's just pretentious bullshit. Uh, it, fortunately, it was only about an hour and a half long because it it was a struggle to get through because it was just so so bizarre. Yeah. Um, so, upstream color, fuck you. I'm assuming that means you're falling under the three out of five range. Oh, yeah, for me... Closer, like, 1.5 out of 5. For me, it was probably a 1 out of 5. For for pretentious hipster douchebags, they probably think it's a great, perfect film. But, yeah, it wasn't for me. All right. Well, then, I'm going to take this a much lower brow level (laughs) and say that I saw a movie that I'd forgotten it was even coming out called Army of the Damned. 
a, a comedy spin, a, a semi-comedy spin on the zombie horror genre. And the only reason I knew about this movie is it, it stars Sully Erna, who people may know as the lead singer of the band Godsmack. Um, and it's done almost as a, a Fangoria magazine level kind of film. When you're watching it, you see there's just a whole bunch of people decide to get together and try to make a fun throwback to the old zombie horror films. You have a cop, and instead of Salem, Mass., it's Salem County, who's doing a cops-esque, photo, uh, cops-esque shoot. A couple of his underlings are called to a house that they go in for a domestic. They get they go in and basically find a whole bunch of corpses inside. And this one little girl who's wandering around who apparently has no pulse and is still walking around. The cop goes to investigate along with a few other members of the force and shenanigans and goings on involving the occult and bodies coming back to life and something almost Army of Darkness-esque where zombies are hacking off limbs and mounting saw blades on the end of them to fight. It's that kind of film. You know what kind of film you're into. You're looking at if the 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 three biggest actors are. I think one is his name Tony Todd, who's the black guy who played Candyman, and those horror movies are great. Michael Berryman, if you know who Michael Berryman is, the dude with the ears from The Hills Have Eyes, and Sully Erna, who Sully can't act. He clearly had fun with this movie. Here's my problem. I didn't at any point think this movie was any fun whatsoever. It was so cheesy, but it just felt like they found it way more fun or funny than I did. I've seen a million fun, cheesy horror movies. This one was lacking all of it. It was lacking the gratuitousness that you want in a cheesy horror movie. It was lacking then the the obvious jump scare factor that... I know we not jump scare, but you expect jump scare in the cheesy, intentionally horror movie. It, it had none of that. It was just basically here's the body, here's the red, uh, here's the, the red water dumped all over them. Move on to the next scene. Uh, scene. Oh, there's something walking around. The saw blade. It's attacking. Just point by point by point. It it plays out like I felt like I wasted my four dollars to rent this on VOD. There, I'm sure there are people, those that subscribe to Fangoria magazine, that will love this movie. There, you know, there are those people that just love anything horror, no matter how good or bad it is. Mm. They just love it. I'm a fan of the horror genre. I don't need highbrow horror, but I can separate what's good lowbrow and what isn't. This was not. As far as I'm concerned, 1.5 out of 5. You want to see Sully Erna try his chops? He's actually one of the funnier pieces of it. But the movie offers you nothing. My favorite part of it was just rolling Michael Berryman out again. And he plays, I think his name's like Crazy Larry. And seeing the images of Michael Berryman walking this little shit zoo as big and creepy as Berryman is, that was funny. That was 20 minutes in the movie, if that. Maybe 10. After that, it was just, eh, well, what's on the internet now while we play this movie out? Well, yeah. Good luck with it. Well, I, uh, exactly. I, uh, caught up finally with Lee Daniels, the butler. And this will be this year's version of The Help. 
Although I don't think it was as good of a movie as The Help. No, The Help was pretty good. It was pretty good. I dug it. Um, certainly another flick that uh, that will try to impress upon you that Whitey was a dick. But in that, it gives you a lot of uh, imagery and scenes of Whitey being a dick. But the crux of it follows this guy, Cecil Gaines, who goes from the beginning of the film watching his father murdered in cold blood in the cotton field where they worked. And this is in the 20s in Macon, Georgia. And clearly the whole uh, slavery thing still rearing its ugly head to a point. They weren't slaves clearly in 1920, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't have known the difference between the way they were treated and... Everything by the the people who own the farm, um, you know, all the all the blacks are out picking cotton, and the guy comes out, takes the guy's wife into a shed to have his way with her, and the kids like, what are they doing to mama and stuff? And, and the father's trying to just shut up, just shut up and stuff. And then finally, the the father stands up to the guy when he comes out, and he just pops him in the head and, and kills him in front of the kid. And then you follow the kid for a little while, and eventually he, he gets this job uh, as a butler at the White House. And it's basically his tenure from when he went in with the Eisenhower administration up through, I don't know if he made it all the way through, but into the Reagan administration. So he was there for 30 years or so. <clears throat> and the problems I had with it where it seemed like, instead of focusing too much on this guy's character, which is really what this movie should have been about, it seemed to make, want to make sure that it had its checklist of major events that happened in world pol or U.S. politics during this time, and made sure that, that that's what had happened in, in this world this guy was in, and then they don't really spend a lot of time showing how it impacted him. You know, the Kennedy assassination. You had um, you had the Martin Luther King assassination, um, and um, the uh, any other any civil yes. rights thing you could think of. The uh, uh, done in Alabama or Arkansas or wherever it was that was the I think it was Alabama, Birmingham. Mm -hmm. the, the shooting of the uh, the people or, or the the black people that were told that they were had to go to school at the school down there and stuff. And I don't remember the exact thing, but a lot of civil rights stuff. What was the name of that movie, honey? In the heat of the night. In the heat of the night with Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier is a white man's fantasy of what he wants us to be. What are you talking about? He just won the Academy Award. He's breaking down barriers for all of us. By being white. By acting white. Sidney Poitier is nothing but a rich Uncle Tom. Look at you. All puffed up. Hat on the head. Coming in here, saying whatever you want. Here you to go. What? Get the hell out of my house! What are you no, doing? No, 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 Get on out! Now, everybody just. I'm sorry, Mr. Butler. I didn't mean to make fun of your hero. Everything you are and everything you have is because of that butler. Um, and it shows uh, how his son had become um, like a sort of a. Uh, in legion, in legion with the people who wanted to stand up for the black rights and stuff, who, who follows the Black Panther movement, who gets involved with Martin Luther King, and then you got Oprah, who's his wife in here, and how 
she's sort of bitter and angry that he's taking this job at the White House. And, and for him, this is like being named CEO of the company. He thinks that based off where he's come from, um, as basically just quote-unquote slave, to the point of being a butler at the White House, that he thinks he's arrived. This, this is just the greatest thing to him. And he doesn't see the impact on, on, you know, his kid thinks he's selling out. He's still one of these characters who thinks that, he, in his mind, the black man should be seen and not heard because that's what he grew up with. Doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't believe in what his son's doing with the Black Panthers and the Martin Luther King stuff. He, he comes to, at the end, he sort of comes around to that. Um, but they don't focus enough on his character specifically and how it, all this stuff is impacting him. They spend a lot more time on the sun and on Oprah. <clears throat> Every black dramatic actor you can think of is pretty much in this flick outside of Denzel Washington. Forrest Whitaker is, is the lead in Cecil Gaines. He's fine. Um, Terrence uh, Howard is in it. Cuba Gooding Jr. is in there. Lenny Kravitz is in there um, in, in just various roles. Um, all of them are fine. Oprah's fine. It just was sort of a... It all felt pretty bland to me. It wasn't a bad movie by any stretch. It's certainly worth looking at. But I didn't feel like I got a lot of... I don't know... I, I didn't. I didn't feel one way or the other about this guy at the end, and I think that's what they were trying to do. I think you were supposed to have this sort of respect for him at the end for for what he endured and what he what he went through and what he made of himself. And I just I didn't really get it. And it, it sort of closes out where he's invited back to the White House, and apparently it was re recently. I, it's during the Obama administration, <clears throat> even though you never see Obama. Um, some really weird casting choices in the form of the presidents. Robin Williams in there as Dwight Eisenhower. Alan Rickman as Ronald Reagan. Um, there was another one, too, that I had mentioned. Um, Nixon. Cusack. John Cusack was Nixon. And it, it, it was all sort of like bad makeup to make these dudes look I'm like... I'm sure what we saw in J. Edgar Yeah, almost. it was. <laughs> it, it was like that. Um, you know, but they don't give you a lot of, a lot of, I don't know, interactions between him and these presidents when clearly the little bit of interaction you get seems to, seems to be, want to be worthwhile, but it never really is, you know, where they treated him with some level of respect and stuff and, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it turn it makes the presidents, it puts them in a pretty good light overall in that that they understood that the civil rights movement was important, even if, albeit politically as much as anything. Um, but, yeah, it just, it was very light to me. It didn't really have the profound impact, I think, that, um, and maybe it's because I'm whitey, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe African Americans go into this and get a lot more out of this than mm -hmm. I do, I don't know. But I liked the help a lot. Yeah. I thought that was something that was done particularly well. No, the help is a fantastic um, movie. This one here <coughs> was just okay. Um, I, I give it a three out of five. 
I, I've decided, and you know what? I know I trash Oprah a lot because of, I just find that, in my mind, she seems to be way more egotistical than I think people throw down. Um, you know what I'm struggling with here? Is casting Oprah in a role that's supposed to show the struggles when you're talking one of the ten wealthiest people in this country, right? Or at least one of the ten wealthiest celebrities, if not one of the top five. Somebody that could that could literally spend a million dollars every other day and not come close to spending their wealth. And I struggle at casting a person like that. And, and, and I think the white version of that would be throwing a, a, a Tom Cruise who literally doesn't have to ever work another day in his life. Or Brad Pitt. And, well, and so any of them? Probably not. But I think that there's a certain dollar value that all of a sudden you can't cast them in a role that they're supposed to show somebody who's been through struggle. Because at no point can you disconnect them from the fact that they've got billions of dollars in the bank. And, 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 and I, would, I would carry this over back to the, the Affleck as Batman. It could be problematic because you still know them as Affleck. And Oprah here, I think I'm going to struggle because she's Oprah. And I cannot dissociate. Back in the day with the color purple, we're talking the 80s, when she was still, she started to make it, but she wasn't on top of the world. Didn't have O Magazine, didn't have the OWN and, and things. Now I'd struggle seeing her cast in a role that's going to try to portray her like there has been some kind of a struggle. There's no struggle any second for her anymore. No. I guess the only struggle is finding out which person that works for is going to wipe her ass at that given moment. And that's it. <laughs> right. So I, I think there's, for me, I, I get concerned when they cast somebody like that in a role. And again, I put a Tom Cruise on there too. You can't cast Tom Cruise in some, uh, I don't know, uh, depression era, poverty ridden film because you're going to go get fucking Tom Cruise. Right. It just doesn't work. You, I think at that point, you can't tell me there weren't better people they could cast that wouldn't instantly give you this image of being something bigger than they are. Right. They should have cast Daniel Day-Lewis in Oprah's part. That would have been perfect. Because he could have pulled it he, he can be anything. Yeah, absolutely. Daniel Day-Lewis was in the movie. He was that chair over there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Uh, you didn't have any other ones, right? No, I'm good. To us. All right, we'll uh, we'll break and we will come back with our review of The Hobbit, The, Defo- De- the Desolation <laughs> of Smog. Truly. The tales and songs fall utterly short of your enormity, O Smaug, the stupendous. We are the dwarves of Elabor. We have come to reclaim our homeland. I offer you my help. How do we know you won't betray us? We don't. There is no king under the mountain, nor will there ever be. It will not end here. With every victory, this evil will grow. Legolas has grown very fond of you. Do not give him hope where there is none. You have no right to enter that mountain. I have the only right. We've been blind in our blindness. But then there has returned. 
Tolkien stuff? I've read the the full Lord of the Rings trilogy. I've read The Hobbit a few times. And I tried to get through the Sil- Silmarillion and flat out found it to be a boring piece of shit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same way. I, I never got through the Silmarillion either. Um, what I can tell you is I've read The Hobbit a couple times. Yep, uh, that one I've read a few. Not a long book. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. You, 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 you can sit and read The Hobbit and three hundred pages tops. Yeah, and, and not a meaty because if you cut through the orc song and, and dwarf song, which I did, I'm not going to read four pages of orc song. Um, you can probably knock off if you really want to. You could probably pull The Hobbit down in a day. Yeah. Um, well. Peter Jackson uh, isn't pulling anything down. <laughs> no. We are getting every inch of The Hobbit, um, which we saw in the first Hobbit movie. Mm-hmm. Um, did they title that one? Did they subtitle that one? The last yes. one is There and Back Again. The That's first one was. had... Oh, Unexpected Journey. Yes, I was going to say it was something to do with yeah. the voyage or something. Unexpected Journey. And, and you had asked me earlier if we knew what the last one was. Yeah, it's there and back, back again. again. Which, of course, is the name of the book that he's writing. Yes. Um, and, and while it wasn't, I guess, an unentertaining movie, it was so bloated. It was 45, could have cut 45 minutes out of there and not lost anything. Right. But we had a two-hour and 45-minute flex. So... Which felt all of two hundred two hours well, of forty. What, and what didn't help is the action sequences in that were too far and few. Yep. And what there was were kind of a mess. Yes. You had that horrible mountain troll scene. And again, I recognize in the book, and people need to remember when they're reading The Hobbit, or when they're talking about The Hobbit, this was the book that he wrote for his grandkids, if I'm not right. mistaken. Yeah. It feels like it. The yeah. Mountain Troll one, certainly. And the Goblin Warrens. Those were really the this two action sequences, but it was terrible. come to life. Uh, certainly nowhere near, like, the darkness of the Lord of the Rings stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, coming into this one here, I know you probably the same way. I'm like, uh, Two hours and 45 minutes this is going to be, and I know damn well it's going to not have to be. It's going to be an hour and 30, 45 to two hours probably would have done this mm-hmm. just fine. 
Um, and while I come out of there saying there certainly was plenty of stuff that didn't need to be there, I will say that this was a far more entertaining film throughout and one that didn't necessarily feel two hours and 45 minutes. I think I enjoyed the time here way more. Yes. There, there was just more happening. Mm-hmm. Still a lot of walking. Still a lot of stuff to get from point A to point B. But this this one at least almost felt like you know almost Dungeons and Dragon-esque. Where every every so often just they ran across stuff. Well... I didn't need I didn't need all the spider bullshit. No, you know I saw that in the Lord of the Rings. I I get well, that. I'm trying to remember the spiders though were in the Mirkwood, right? I believe and I'm so. beginning to think that Tolkien really only created about five different kinds of creatures and all yeah. of his lore, yeah. and that's all he kept throwing at us. But kids didn't know the difference because I'm swearing spiders, dragons, orcs, wargs, goblins, yeah. hobbits. Yeah, I mean that's about it. Um, yeah, and that was a slow part for me, strictly, and I know it was in the book, but strictly because we saw this shtick play out in Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. they dragged this out too long, I don't care about the frickin' spiders anymore. I, I, I struggled with about the first half hour of this flick. For me, it was slow paced and kind of boring, early on. You have nothing to fear. Tell us what you know, and I will set you free. You had orders to kill them. Why? What is Thorin Oakenshield to you? The dwarf Rant never became king. There is no king under the mountain, nor will there ever be. None would dare enter Erebor whilst the dragon lives. You know nothing. Your world will burn. What are you talking about? Speak! Altai has come again. My master serves the one. Do you understand now, Elfling? Death is upon you. The flames of war are upon you. (laughs) Then we finally got to that forest and we finally got Legolas and Toriel in the picture. Right. And at that point, it started to pick up again. Yeah. Once they introduced the, the, the home of the forest elves, the yeah. wood elves, yeah. then uh, the movie did pick up. Because, yeah, even though I will say I didn't mind the scene in Bree. Bree is the name of the city, right? Yeah. The, the town. But, again, it's the, what Jackson's already shown he does in each of them, which is the each of the second and third installments is to give you some backstory. And yeah. in this one, it's... The meeting of Gandalf with Thorin. Right. Uh, at the Prancing Pony, which we already know is the Inn and Bray. With a couple of dudes giving him a stink eye for yeah, uh, not was, sure what the point of that was. No, it was it was the whole that, that what Gandalf brings out this thing and basically says there's a mark out on you. Gandalf's a douche. Gandalf, all he does is sit around, wax concerned, everything. Smokes his weed. <laughs> says a couple of, like, <laughs> ominous things and then disappears yep. on them. I was happy to see he actually did wizard things to a certain extent <laughs> in this movie. Right. Because I found myself literally going, so let me get this straight. And again, I think it was in the book where he gets into the mark where he's like, oh, 
But I'm not going with you. No, wait a second. You've been telling these poor guys. They've just been dropped 50 miles shy where they were supposed to be by fucking giant eagles that could have taken them right to the goddamn mountain. Instead, they're dropped here. You take them to this forest that they don't even know they can follow a road in. Right. And you're saying, oh, you don't know the dangers there. Yeah. I'm but a- I, I got to be going. Yeah, I got to go. It, I just found myself thinking. I'm gonna at go what with point, this, I gotta go hook up with the guy with the bird nest. For well, in the sh- bird shit down his face. Yeah. At what point do you say both Thorin and Gandalf? Fuck you guys. Yeah. What? 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 What the is Thorin's it for me? Dick. <laughs> he wants everybody else to do the shit for him, so that he can sit on his throne and count his riches. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just, it constantly plays out that way. To this point, I haven't seen Thorin do anything that makes me think he's a hero. And granted, he, no. Smog plays off that a bit, which I, I dug enough, that they're just a reminder, honestly, what has this guy done? Yeah. What, you've gotten all these promises from him, but what, at what point has Thorin done anything for anybody but himself? Right. And it's, yeah, it's... It's an interesting spin on the character because so much of these movies is based around just the whole honor and everything else. Right. And, and the dwarves themselves must be the most honorable there are. And yet here we go seeing Thorin, who I just don't see it. Now, in the mythology, how far in advance of Fellowship of the Ring did The Hobbit take place? It was 70, 70 years, I think. 70-ish. For some reason, 72 years seems to be the number sticking to my head for for the, the years from Bilbo returning mm-hmm. to the party when, uh, when Frodo yep. comes. So, <coughs> we get, in this movie, we get the, basically the, I don't know, the birth of Sauron to some degree. Yep. Um... So Sauron's there, he's got his army assembling and all this stuff. So it took 70 years from this point for him to actually get off his off his ass and start the war? Maybe he just found a good movie to watch for a while. <laughs> uh-huh. like, I, I mean, because that's literally what you're saying here. Yeah. No, I, and I thought the same thing. Because for all the orcs we've seen him kill though so far... There seems to be an endless supply of them, but you don't see where they're coming from. Right. You keep hearing about these orc armies. In, in the Lord of the Rings movies, we see orc armies. Again, the Battle of Helm's Deep, to me, is one of the greatest sequences yeah. put on film yet. To yeah. show an army against an army. That first shot when you hear the thunder roll and, and the lightning flash, because they see the early bits of the, the orc army, then you realize the entire valley is yeah. tens of thousands of these things. And here you are holed up in a keep. And you've got walls. That's what you got. Right. And that's an amazing scene. And in this, it's all like, it's just like, well, we just keep rolling. I got, I, I'm fairly and almost completely believing that they've just got ten people playing these orcs, too. <laughs> then they just keep rolling the same ten orcs out. They, he lost his head. They got the one with the long pointy nose. They got the, the one with the scars over his eyes. And they just keep rolling the same ones out to be killed over and over again. Right. I always thought too, and maybe I'm wrong. I always thought that the uh, the orcs were not undead, but really just sort of fabrications that didn't have any capacity to think outside of kill, 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 kill. But that's not the sense you're getting here necessarily in, in every regard. Yes, you have your 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 wooden Indians there that are just there to, to chase and get be killed, but. 
the guy that they captured there, that they're getting information out of, he didn't look like one of the orc leaders. See, I, I will say, I thought the orcs were supposed to be a race, even though kind of a peon race, but the Urukai were the ones yeah. that were the creations. Yeah, that's true. But, I, I, again, I don't know. <sighs> because I will say, I found myself interested in the play out of the one that they captured. Because I'm thinking, from what we've seen of the orcs, he wouldn't say anything, would he? Because he can't believe he's going to survive anyway. So he, he uh, at that point, he's probably just going to die. Yeah. So what's he gained by saying anything? Unless it's just this thing about, well, my master's coming, the war is coming, and you there's nothing you can do to stop it. So I'll just tell you what's going on anyway. Right. And, and maybe that was the angle. I don't know if that scene played out quite that way. Right. Um, Legolas doesn't make any appearances in the Hobbit book, but he is added in here. Did you have any issue with that? Or could they have just casted anybody they could in have a had role? Any elf there. I, I almost feel like this is his way of either A, trying to give Orlando Bloom work, or B, saying he li- that he knew Orlando Bloom kind of was his image of what an elf was supposed to be. So let's use it. I would argue here I thought I liked Evangeline Lilly more as Toriel than oh, I, I did she, Orlando Bloom as Legolas. Absolutely. I thought she was uh, I thought she was really sort of the best thing about this flick. Yeah. I, I, I liked her character a lot. And this is a case where I think an added character is going to play out well. What scares me is I'm doing the math and saying Toriel wasn't in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Now granted... Anything can happen to Turiel at this point. And the Fellowship was just Legolas being sent as the offering for the, of the elves as part of the Fellowship, if, I'm, right. if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like they came to him. Legolas was already part of the group. Legolas and Gimli were. And we got introduced in name only to Gimli today. Because what, right. doesn't it turn out that Thorin's his father? Was no, it well, Thor- Gloin, no, it was Gloin. Lo- uh, yeah, uh, that's right. It was Gloin. Gimli uh, is a product of Gloin's loins. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, so, it, but does that mean Toriel dies? Who knows? Which is interesting when you look at Gloin and stuff. Out of all of these dwarves, other than Thorin, and maybe Gloin because they reference it, and maybe Keeley because he's got a more significant role in this one. Mm-hmm. Name any of the other ones or what their point is. Other There's than the old guys at Bofer or whatever. Yeah. That's just like, he, he's the one who's the, has the knowledge. He's the one that's, he's the he's historian. The one that's hanging around right. just because he was part of the, part of the dwarven armies back with his guy, with his father mm-hmm. and things like that. So he, he just seemed, I think that's just a sense of, uh, of uh, loyalty for him at this point, yeah. but all the rest but all just the rest mean nothing just, to it. Yeah, they just they, they just sort of add this I don't know clownish atmosphere to a lot of stuff, especially the big fat one. Um, oh, dude, I hated the scene of him in the barrel. Yeah, that was horrible. I, I found myself thinking, isn't this elf bowling? That's well, yeah, exactly. And that's you know that barrel scene wasn't too bad until they had to go and do that. Then all of a sudden, it was just kind of stupid, right? Let alone the spinning with the axes, and yeah, they went way, way too far. And I don't remember any of that being in the book either. I remember the getaway in the barrels and the river, yes, that's in it. But the whole 
bouncing down and uh, bouncing down the side of the, of the water and cleaning out orc after orc and landing on his feet and spinning around with blades. Right. Come on. Right. It was so over the top. Yeah. If you awaken that beast, it will destroy us all. You can listen to this naysayer, but I promise you this. If we succeed, all will share in the wealth of the mountain. You will have enough gold to rebuild Eskaroth ten times over! All of you, listen to me! You must listen! Have you forgotten what happened to Dale? Have you forgotten those who died in the firestorm? For what purpose? The blind ambition of a mountain king. So riven by greed, he could not see beyond his own desire. You have no right. No right to enter that mountain. I have the only right. Um, what, what do you think of uh, Martin Freeman as Bilbo? I'm not minding him, but I'm finding it a little distracting because I'm finding that I... Oh, you think it is World's End? The World's End. <laughs> or Sherlock, if you watch that. Yeah. It, I don't mind Martin Freeman as Bilbo. I really, I, I, I'm fine with it. But this was an interesting movie because I don't know if they did that much with Bilbo. Except no. for the smog scene. And you could argue that Benedict Cumberbatch's smog stole that scene. Yeah. As he was supposed to. Right. I mean, it, it's... It, I, I think that some of that dialogue was fascinating as hell. If a dragon could say anything, what would a dragon say? Right. And, and I really kind of enjoyed that. Martin Freeman's Bilbo was just there to elicit the comments, I guess. Right. right. So I, I don't really have any so issue you like, with it. You like the dragon? Do you like the look of the dragon? Like the the only issue I had with the dragon, other than that, I'm gonna I could go on the CGI rant. But what's the point? How else are you going to get a dragon that detailed without going CGI? I can live with that. But were there times that the mouth movements didn't look exactly like the goddamn Audrey 2? There were movements that he did with his lips when it was just the head coming from around a pillar. That was the exact same mouth movements of the Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors from 86. That I literally thought that that's what they used as the basis for the mouth was the puppetry done by Frank Oz in that movie. Maybe I I didn't pick up on it. Oh, it was driving me nuts. Um, I I like the dialogue of the dragon, like the look a little less, but I can live with it. I had that problem when they were going over that little bridge and the dragon went over them that the dragon didn't see them. Let alone smell them. Because the dragon was able to smell that he'd been around dwarves. So how would he not smell the dwarves immediately under him? (laughs) Right. Yeah, a couple couple little things like that sort of bugged me. Um, yeah, I mean, there were, there were a couple moments there with the whole him fighting against them where they were trying to run away from the fire that they never would have run away from. Oh, God, no. And and things like that, that, that sort of bugged me, but I, I still have to rein it in and go, all right, kids fantasy tale. And and a lot of it was in the, I'm fairly Certain that a lot of these scenes, the dragon breathing fire, they were somehow hiding behind pillars, right. was in the book. Um, like all the other stuff that Jackson's done with this world, I thought it looked good for That's the most part. Uh, I love the I love the worlds he's created. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, 
Um, the uh, Elven prison was kind of cool. Yep. I loved Bree. I loved the what was uh, Dale? Was that the town? Oh, Riverton, R- R- the the one that R- they ended up in is Riverton. Oh, is that way with the the master guy? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dale was the destroyed city that they showed. Right, 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 right. Uh, Riverton was was looked, it was look, they looked, looked beautiful. Awesome. They and you actually nailed it earlier. They look like what you picture these things would look like when you play D and D. It looks like a town or D and D the way you picture them. Right. I struggle with the use of accents in this movie, though. I'm struggling with the Brit accents I hear for a lot of the people, but sometimes not so much. I can't quite figure out what they're trying to give for dialect for humans. There's too many Brit accents going on, and every now and then they'll meet somebody that has nothing. The master in that town had this, I almost want to say depression, almost like... Something you would have heard out of uh, a, a Christmas Carol, that kind of Ichabod, not Ichabod Crane. What's the what's the Scrooge. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge kind of voice, which I know is Brit, but there's no consistency in what they're looking for in, in, in speech here, and I, I struggle with that a little bit because some people just flat out had nothing, right? And but looks wise, he's built a gorgeous world. He has, um, he's taken a, and, and we've been critical of the fact that they've made three movies out of a book that, you know, I could, I could almost justify to myself splitting I it into two. two. Three, it just feels like nothing more than just a studio cash grab, which, which I have to believe it is. Um, because even though the pacing on this one was better, even though there was more going on, even though this one didn't feel the full two hours and 45 minutes like the first one did, there's still a good freaking half hour of stuff in here that just doesn't need to be there. Right. That could just be left on the cutting room floor and not take away from this at all. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there even is a third movie, some will say it's Peter Jackson's past, is so passionate for the work he wants to tell this story. Maybe that's some of it, but don't tell me that that he couldn't have told this story. No, because by by all accounts, you could t- he, that he should have made nine movies out of the Lord of the Rings. Right. Well, and that's where I have my biggest issue is the Lord of the Rings. I could buy that you could have added another movie for that series. Mm-hmm. There, there is stuff that was on the cutting room floor. I you, literally here he's. Again, we've said he's adding characters, he's adding scenes, he's adding stuff that didn't need to be there, right. and the work is considered to be classic. Why did you need to add to these? And I get, well, there's that little piece, well, you know, some works don't translate directly to book. Fine. Then you tweak certain scenes. You don't have to flat out add entire plot lines here. Right. And the, was so... Now, here's where I'm struggling was Sauron even mentioned in The Hobbit? I don't remember if he was or not. I don't recall. I don't remember any of this with Gandalf I and don't Sauron. Think so. I think this. I think that's a side, a side thing in this movie, just to add more length to the movie. Um, and, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with that so much. Um, my my problems are the fact that. While the dragon and and and, and um, Bilbo's discussion is intriguing, it was probably like five minutes too long. No, of course, like drug out forever. 
the first movie that we don't need forty minutes in the freaking uh, in the shire, shire in the in the hot in itself. The, yeah in, inside the hobbit hole with the dishes and the singing and stuff this is just stretched yeah. out we get it after a while um, but they they just seem to continue to play out and play out and play out way long just the whole. The whole barrel scene was sort of fun, even though it had some cheesy stuff. It just lasted too long. Yeah, it, it, it started to feel too fucking much. You right. could have cut five minutes of swinging an axe, hitting this orc, and that yeah. orc, and this orc. It just got overdone, overdrawn. Yeah. And yeah, it certainly, as much as I loved the scene with Bilbo and Smaug, I'll flat out say that five or ten minutes... And after a while, you're like, all right, either cook this little bastard or or move on. Why are you playing at this? What is your game here? And if it's to get him to say that Thorin's here, you already have said that. You know he's with Thorin. He even gave the talk about what do you plan to gain out of this. Thorin's only using you. At that point... And meanwhile, that dick's outside. He's putting his ear to the thing like, I wonder how he's doing with my bidding in there. I mean, at that point, why wouldn't Smog just cook the Hobbit? Unless yeah. he respects him. And at one point he said, maybe I ought to save you. But it was way too long. This was like 15 minutes later. Yeah. They're starting in on, well, maybe a, there's a part of me that thinks I ought to let you live. And, and, to, and it was something about suckering Thorin in. Right. And, but on second thought, no. And it's, it just starts playing out too damn long. And I know you and I have already discussed the scene... I got to bring it up, and again, probably in the book, but if it is, it's dreadful. Of fucking Thorin and the key, mm-hmm. and traveling this far through everything you've been in, and oh wait, the sunlight, which is for some reason the only way you're thinking of light, right. didn't show me where the keyhole is. I can tell you right now, if I'd spent Three months journeying through gone anything. Through once you've gone through. I'm going to pick apart every goddamn millimeter of that goddamn rock wall and find that keyhole. Right, because once once you did see it, it really I don't even know why you needed light. No, <laughs> I'm looking at it saying it's a fucking deep groove that looks like yeah. a duck like keyhole. A keyhole. <laughs> but you, you up there and say, like, oh, darn, we couldn't find yep. it. Oh well, uh, drops the key. Drops the key. <laughs> and like, ah, Shucks, uh, damn it! I guess we can't get our land back after all. And just like <laughs> you know. Have you ever dropped a piece of metal, anything, and tried to find it? When Bilbo oh. drops that goddamn ring in the Mirkwood with the oh, spiders, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and now and I can live, I can live with the, the spin. Someone would say the ring calls him. Okay, but that's not the way they shot it. The way they shot it is he looked, and there's the ring sitting thirty feet away. I dropped a ring before that I was holding. In grass. And trying to find that goddamn thing was not an impossible. It took me a good hour to find it. And I knew it had to have gone straight down. Right. He's up in trees and he dropped it. Right. It just, yeah. It, <laughs> it. This movie's vastly improved over what we got in the first one. But it's still not without its flaws. Well, is it, is it fair to even, even call these movies or do you have to look at this as a whole when it's done? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think you'd make an argument for that, but still, I think there's going to be a party that says, well, it's still chapters, right. and this was a better chapter, and maybe that's just it. Maybe we got the origin story out of the way in the first one, and we're getting somewhere now. Um, what I'm finding fascinating is, I kept hearing how the second installment was going to be the one of the most action, and... 
I don't necessarily see that because no, what really. we're left with is kind of where I thought it was going to leave off. And I can see where the third installment is going to be where stuff's going to start happening here. Yeah. I mean, there, again, there was just a whole lot of talking for the most part in this well, movie. I don't know what, I don't know how they're, I, I think they're pretty far along in the book at this point. So yeah. I got a feeling we're going to get in uh, there and back again. We're going to get like Return of the King where we're going to get like 12 different endings with 10 minutes each of just seeing how these guys are living today kind yeah. of thing. I wouldn't be I totally mean, after, surprised. After Smog goes and does his attack and stuff, what's left mm-hmm. at that point? Because I thought that in the book that happens in like the last 50 yes, or 60 pages. it does. And it's not like it's going to take Smog long to get to that only city that's just below the mountain. <laughs> right. I mean, for yeah, fairly certain. Like two-minute flight for Even that getting the, the gold, worse, let's be honest, worst battle plan ever was to dump gold <laughs> on a dragon who's been sleeping underneath right. of it. Right. Sure, hot gold. Still, right. gold. Yeah. He's going to survive. But the town's right there. Yeah. Dragon's flying at it. There's not, I mean... Yeah, I don't know how they're going to, unless now we're going to get a whole lot of scenes that Peter Jackson just flat out created. Well, it's interesting, too, because the people in Riverton, like the one guy there, Lee Pace, uh, plays the bard. Mm -hmm. It's like, all these people know what happens if this dragon gets angry. And even prior to the dwarf showing up, why do you you live here? Yeah, well, I find myself... (laughs) Why would you, let alone then root for these these dwarves to go yeah. try to... The last the thing I want is it, somebody... Greed trumps all, yeah, apparently. That, that's just... The last thing I want is... I don't care how poor I am. Let's not poke the sleeping dragon that's in right. that mountain. And I, I know the angle could be, well, no one's heard from him. And I know they spin that in the first one. Right, but no one even knows he's to, still there. They are going to go with a stick and poke it. Yeah. That's my attitude is, point. We may not know he's still there, but we've all avoided the goddamn thing for right. 50 years, 60 years. So I'm fairly certain we're petrified that it is still there. Right. Let's not wake it up. Right. And yeah, that's like the worst idea ever. Well, even what's Smog's motivation here? He kicked them out years ago, uh, the dwarves, and he just sleeps among the riches now. Yeah, What's your point? His, his end game. But it's funny because it, it, even in D&D, dragon lore has them being these greedy bastards, but they don't do anything with it. They right. just sit on it. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's, it's, like, it's a dragon like, trope. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like he's pulling out dragon wallet and walking into the pub. And, right. Round top Because I'm fairly certain yeah. dragon comes in, everyone's buying it around. You're not going to piss him off. <laughs> exactly. Wait, does he want three? Yeah. It's on me, man. Yeah, yeah I'm the right. best buddy of this dragon. Hook up the dragon. <laughs> that's right. Rock. Just put the, hook the tap to his mouth yeah. if that's what he wants. Yeah, it, it, but yeah, it, in D&D, that was always the thing is, dragons, they like jewels. Why? Because metals melt, jewels don't. In this, they don't play that angle up. Which is kind of interesting, because to a certain extent, they do. Mm-hmm. He is the way they like the forge backup. But at no point do you understand why, except, well, they're like riches. Why? What's it mean to a goddamn dragon? Right. They're not going to the mall and picking right. up whatever they want. There's no dragon mart out no. there. No. <laughs> And the last thing I know, there's no blue light special in some no. dragon store there. Well, shit. Five cents off? Drag, awesome. Dragon does not shop at Hot Topic. No. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, certainly a better a better flick than the first one. Yeah. I, um, and I can actually see myself seeing this one again at some point. 
Yeah, down the road with the extended cut or the director's cut. Do you like realize there's like three, and, I, and someone again is going to call me out, but I swear there's already been like three different versions of the last year's Hobbit I'm sure, release. I'm sure there has. This movie is, this whole, this series is nothing but cash. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. And it's the only reason they, they brought Peter Jackson back in is because he knew the world, he knew how to create the world. They weren't going to take a risk on somebody else nope. going in and screwing. No, he up. got the feel right this the first is time. Nothing more than cash grab of a studio, nope. which is unfortunate. But right, um, but the fact that Peter Jackson's in charge of it gives it some credibility. Yeah, it, it, it looks the part of the movies, and this one felt like it's heading in the right direction at least. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm still I'm still going to give it um, three and a half out of five just to spite it. And that's that's where it's I land. Too fucking long. Yeah, I, I if they trim, I, I don't think they need to trim an hour and a half out of this one. No, but if half they trim, an hour. right? If they cut it down between the two and two fifteen mark, this movie would play out certainly as yeah. again a, a book that doesn't need three chapters. But if you're going to give them to them, you could get some good meat here there. Right. So. All right, um, we will reconvene again in a couple weeks with our uh, end of the year podcast, our end of the year review podcast, and some of probably our... plenty of what we watch discussions at that point oh, too. Jeez, no doubt, uh, a lot of a lot of movie watching to watch in the next couple weeks. Uh, but we'll do our best ofs, our worst ofs, yep. our best, uh, our biggest disappointments, biggest surprises, and such and such. Um, 2013 coming to an end. You know, this year, it's been an interesting year for the ninjas. It's been kind of an odd fucking year all around, though, dude. Yeah. I, 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 I think I'm ready for 2014. Yeah, I'm willing to clean the slate and try over, a little do-over action. But we'll uh, we'll check you in a couple of weeks. Hey, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever. Yeah, well, like... Hey.